In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins. For the grace to make this time a prayer fruitful, my Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Lord Jesus, as we come into your presence in this time of prayer, trying to put away other distractions and really focus on you, as we always do in our mental prayer, as we try to do with your grace in our mental prayer, we ask you for help to be grateful, to be grateful, Lord, for all of your generosity with us. And in a particular way today, for your generosity in telling us the truth and telling us hard truths, truths that we need to hear, truths that perhaps are difficult to hear, but they're good for us. Because in your love for us, you know that we need to face difficult realities. We need to come to terms with things that are uncomfortable or really call for a deeper change. And Lord, you who are the way and the truth and the life, and you who are God, who is love, Lord, you don't do anything with regard to us. You don't tell us anything, unless it's for our good. It comes from that deep source of love, which is your heart, the heart of the Father, and the Holy Spirit, which is divine love himself. And one of the things that you tell us, Lord, that is difficult is about the reality of judgment, that at the end of, a, of our lives, we'll be judged. And that judgment will really reveal the truth of my life, the truth of how I use my freedom, the truth of how I responded to grace, the truth of whether I really faced and came to grips with my sinfulness and really tried to convert to you, to be more like you, to love you and others above all things. This is from the Gospel of Luke. Our Lord is talking here about the end of time. And he says this, There will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and upon the earth distress of nations and perplexity, at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Men fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, look up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day may come upon you suddenly like a snare. For it will come upon all who dwell upon the face of the whole earth. But watch at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And even though our Lord here is prophesying the end of the world, in a way all of these passages also 
apply very directly to, to you and I, to each one of us. Because the end of our own life, when we pass from this life into eternity, is very much like a personal end of the world. It's a personal end of time. And that personal end of time will include this judgment, this reckoning with God, and this reckoning with our sinfulness. And Jesus says, pray, pray that you may have strength to escape all these things and strength to stand before the Son of Man. And why would we need strength? Why do we need strength and courage to stand before the Son of Man when he comes to judge us? Well, because sin is terrible and sin is evil and God is all good and God died for our sins. And so unless we really appeal to his mercy and do what it takes to root out sinfulness in our heart, root out selfishness, root out our sinful rebelliousness, well, then we're going to end up opposed to God. And to be opposed to God is to lose. And instead of having our sins forgiven and ourselves purified and sanctified by his grace and mercy, if we don't reckon with sin in the right way and use the means we have to grow in virtue, grow in holiness, well, our sins will be punished and they'll be punished severely because they're serious, they're serious offenses. As so we can do that now, Lord, I pray that I may have the strength to stand before you when you come to judge me. I pray, Lord, that I may use all the means necessary to unveil, uncover my sinfulness and all the means necessary to let your grace forgive me and redeem me and all the grace necessary, Lord, that, that I can use my freedom to love, to love you and to love others, to overcome my sinfulness. And how do we do that? Well, we do it by preparing now. If we prepare now, with sincerity, with humility, with a real examination of conscience, trying to uncover, uncover my unwillingness to be good, uncover my hidden faults, the things that I think I'm okay with, but I'm, I'm really not, and they really offend God. Well, if we do this every day with a good examination of conscience, then we will, we will be ready because God will find us humble and he'll find us purified and he'll find us counting on his mercy and he'll find us loving or working on all the virtues we need to live charity. I saw on Facebook the other day, someone reposted a tweet and it was striking. It reminded me of this passage where our Lord says that we should pray for the strength to stand before the Son of Man. This is the tweet I found. It said, The sun will burn your eyes out from 92 million miles, and you expect to casually stroll into the presence of its creator. The sun will burn our eyes out from 92 million miles away, and we kind of take God lightly, and we take sin lightly, that we're just going to be like, hey, yeah, we're all buddies, me, <laughs> me and God, and no big deal. 
So Lord, help us. Help us to take you seriously and help us to take our sinfulness seriously. And this takes, this takes courage because our deeper sins are things that we really don't want to work on. So it takes a certain courage to really see ourselves clearly and to work on those things that are deeper within us, that those sins that really have come to form part of our personality, the sins that we're kind of attached to. St. Josemaria used a phrase, he would say, we have to live savage sincerity. It's savage sincerity, sincerity that's, that's kind of violent and violent in a, in a courageous way to uncover all the manifestations and all the attachments to sin that offend God. Savage sincerity in our examination of conscience at night, when we make an examination of conscience before going to confession, perhaps on a retreat or on a longer time of prayer, we make a deeper and longer examination of conscience so that we can let the, the mercy of God in and so that we can redirect our freedom and say, no, if this offends God, I might, up being, I might end up being punished for this. And so this has to go. And Lord, give me the courage and the grace to fight against those things and to reveal them to you. I um, heard a song the other day by a, a rock band that I've come to know a little bit more recently, a band called Muse. And I was struck by this line, it's the last verse of the song. The singer sings, I've had recurring nightmares that I was loved for who I am and missed the opportunity to be a better man. It's a nightmare to be satisfied with who we are right now and miss the opportunity to be better, to be better sons and daughters of God. And that's why we need this savage sincerity to look at ourselves as we are, realize that obviously God loves us as we are. He loves us as sinners, but he loves us also knowing our potential and wanting us to change, wanting us to be happier, wanting us to be better. And so it's kind of a tragedy. It's a great tragedy if we don't examine ourselves well, because then we live in ignorance. We live in a kind of an illusion and we're constantly fooling ourselves that our sins aren't that bad, that there's not much work I need to do to get to heaven. There's not much work God needs to do unto me in order to be a saint, in order to get to heaven. It's just kind of a nightmare to be self-satisfied in a way that keeps us from growing and keeps us from responding to God's grace, keeps us from working on those defects. Speaking of recurrent nightmares, coming across this verse and then thinking about using it for preaching, it reminded me of my own recurrent nightmare. I was a grad student and a student for a long time in my life before being ordained a priest. And when that happens to you, you can kind of become obsessed with exams and finishing things and finishing the degree. In my case, my dissertation, my PhD was a real bear, took years, (laughs) 
years to finish. And so I still have recurrent nightmares, which are, which are very scary. But when I wake up, they're kind of funny. I'm very relieved. And the nightmare goes something like this. I'm about to take a test, or I realize that I, I have an exam to take. And it's part of the requirement for my, my PhD. But the nightmare scenario is that I forgot that I was even in the course, or I didn't know somehow that I was enrolled for the course. And all of a sudden there's this, there's this test uh, on which a lot depends. And it's just this utter feeling of, of total helplessness because there's no way I can pass the test because I haven't been in the course. I haven't been doing the readings. I haven't, I don't know what, what it's about even. Sometimes it's like a math course for some reason and you can't fake math. And it's just a miserable situation, right? To have this exam for which you're totally unprepared. And this is the sense of what Jesus is saying in that passage from Luke that we, that we read. He said, you know, don't get distracted. Don't get carried away by drunkenness and dissipation and the cares of this world. Lest that day, the day of your judgment comes upon you to surprise you. Like, oh no, I didn't know uh, I was supposed to deal with these other things. I didn't know I was supposed to be thinking about God and how I offend him and his plan for me and how he wants me to love him and a different kind of happiness. Why? Because I was distracted. I was distracted with pleasure and parties and uh, my career and all these things that fill this world. Good things, but they're not God and we have to put them in perspective. So Lord Jesus, part of that strength Part of that strength that we need to stand before the Son of God is the strength of preparation, of preparation. How do we pass an exam in college or in grad school? Well, we pass the exam because we were paying attention in class, because we've been doing the assignments, because we studied, because we do the other quizzes or midterms well. And so when the final exam comes, there are no surprises, right? We're ready. Pray that you may have the strength to stand before the Son of Man. And Lord, part of that strength is this courage to be savagely sincere. And it's really, it's really savage in the sense that there's part of us that really doesn't want to look at the truth of our situation, really doesn't want to know the truth about our souls, about ourselves. Blaise Pascal, in his Pensees, has a wonderful passage on this. It's very striking. He talks about the aversion to truth, the aversion to self-knowledge that we have. We, we kind of despise it and try to avoid it. There are different degrees, he writes. There are different degrees in this aversion to truth but all may perhaps be said to have it in some degree because it is inseparable from self-love. It is this false delicacy which makes those who are under the necessity of reproving others choose so many windings and middle courses to avoid offense. They must lessen our faults, appear to excuse them, intersperse praises and evidence of love and esteem. Despite all this, the medicine does not cease to be bitter to self-love. 
It takes as little as it can, always with disgust, and often with a secret spite against those who administer it. And so our, our self-love is so twisted that it bristles at correction, correction that comes from advice or from friends, people who love us, perhaps superiors at work or people who have the role of forming our souls. Well, when they point out to us our faults or, or suggest something that can be better, right? It hurts us so much that they kind of have to soften the blow. And, and as Pascal says here, they do it with all these windings and interspersing compliments. And all that is because of our aversion to the truth, right? The difficulty, the difficulty entailed in really admitting how we're bad, how we're wrong, and really working on it. Hence it happens, uh, Pascal continues, hence it happens that if any have some interest in being loved by us, they are averse to rendering us a service which they know to be disagreeable. They treat us as we wish to be treated. We hate the truth and they hide it from us. We desire flattery and they flatter us. We like to deceive, and they deceive us. We hate the truth, and they hide it from us. We desire flattery, and they flatter us. We like to be deceived, and they deceive us. And the really tricky thing is, Lord, that we do this to ourselves. We flatter ourselves. We, we deceive ourselves. We hide the truth of our situation from ourselves. Lord, keep us from self-satisfaction. Keep us from mistaking your strength, your efficacy for mine. The gifts, the merits, the virtues that you've helped me develop, the talents you've given me, they don't make me good. They're gifts from you. For me to be good, Lord, I need to reckon with what still needs to be done and be grateful for those gifts, but use them for glory. Use them for love. Use them to serve you and others. Lord, keep me from self-satisfaction. Keep me from vainglory, as St. Josemaria would say. Vainglory is robbing the glory from God. Taking the glory that belongs to God because of creation, because of redemption, and stealing it, right? taking it for ourselves as if it were ours. Savage sincerity, Lord, to see myself as you see me. And that's scary, but it's also very comforting. And it's also very bracing. The gospel describes Jesus looking at the rich young man and loving him. And he looks at him and he, and he loves him. And he loves him as he is already. He's a, he's a young man who's got a lot of virtues. He says himself that he's lived all the commandments. But he also loves him in his potential. He also sees in the rich young man the ability to be a great saint, a great apostle, a great follower of Christ. And so he looks at him and he loves him. And then he invites him to break from all those worldly cares, to be detached from his riches. And so he says to him, if you would be perfect, go sell all that you have and come follow me. And so our Lord looks at him and loves him. And part of the love is the mercy and the appreciation for how he's used his freedom so far. 
understanding, you know, his limitations and, and his good points. But part of the love is seeing how much more potential there is and wanting him to develop that potential by responding to a vocation, by radically changing, by no longer relying on his own human virtue and on, on especially on his own things, on his own possessions, right? letting that go, turning it over to God, putting it all in the service of God, following Jesus more closely. He looked at him and he loved him and he invited him to holiness. And the man goes away sad because he can't, he can't do it. He can't find it in himself to, to make that break, to make that conversion, to make that change. And it would have been a better story, right, if, if he had the strength, but even a better story if he said, Lord, this is very hard. Help me. I can't do this without you. Because that's the reality of our situation, the strength that it takes to stand before God in judgment is strength that comes from God. The strength that comes from God is charity. And yes, we have to be on board. We have to use our freedom to cooperate with God's strength. But it's from God. And that's super important. Because when we see clearly, if we have the courage to see clearly our sinfulness, well, without trust in God's mercy, that God can help us be good, that God can forgive our sins, that God can help us grow in charity and virtue, without trust in God's mercy and relying on God's mercy, well, then the, the sight of our sinfulness will cause a great despair. The strength, Lord, that I need to stand before you is your strength, is the strength of charity. And charity, love, is kind of a cheat code for life. It's a cheat code for the exam. In a certain sense, charity is the silver bullet for life and for the exam at the end of our life, which is our judgment. Because that's what our Lord is looking for, and that's what he'll judge us on. Did we love? But love is demanding, and love is tricky because we think, oh, as long as I'm not hurting others in a really obvious way, as long as I'm not breaking any you know, super important commandments, I'm not killing anyone, I'm not extorting anyone, I'm not exploiting anyone, well, then I'm pretty good with love. No, love is demanding. Jesus loves us on the cross with sacrifice, with pain, with suffering, with patience, with mercy, with forgiveness. Love is serious. Love is demanding. It's the mother of all the virtues. So the extent that we are going to try to love, we're going to realize, oh, I need more fortitude. I need more patience. I need more forgiveness. I need more temperance. I need to be less lazy. When we really try to love, really try to turn our daily life into service to others and fulfill all of our obligations to God and to others in a generous way, well, then it, it, it uh, lights up our defects. We see, oh, I'm not good at loving because I'm intemperate, or I'm not good at loving because I'm impatient, and I'm not good at loving because I'm not willing to forgive that person, or I'm not good at loving because I don't spend enough time in prayer with God, who is the 
prime target of my love. Love him above all things. And so if we shoot for love, we'll realize all the other virtues that we lacked, all the other defects that need to be overcome. And so that line from St. Paul is very beautiful. He says, seek love. Seek the love. Make love your aim. And if we do that, well, then we'll, we'll, be, we'll be heading in the right direction. It is the true cheat code for the exam. We'll have the strength to stand before the Son of God if we make love our aim and rely on God's help to love. But we'll also at the same time uh, be more aware of all the ways that we fail in love and all the other defects that are holding us back from loving. And so, Lord, we say, have mercy on us. Fill our hearts with your love. The strength to stand before you, Lord, is the strength that I have by corresponding to your grace. It's not the strength that I have on my own. There's a great line in the forge of St. Josemaria. It's very reassuring. He says, if I love, there will be no hell for me. If I love, there will be no hell for me. Love is that one thing necessary for this life and for eternal life. But love is demanding. It demands that we constantly live in the truth of our limitations, of our lacks of love, and constantly work on them. And that's not easy because, again, we we tend to... Um, deceive ourselves, to flatter ourselves, not to want to look at these hard truths which are nevertheless important, salvific, salvific truths. I've been reading the Diary of Divine Mercy recently for the first time and uh, by St. Faustina Kowalska. It's an incredible, it's an incredible book. Um, and this is a part where she uh, has a vision of someone precisely going through their judgment at the moment of their death. I saw a soul which was being separated from its body amid great torment. Oh, Jesus, as I'm about to write this, I tremble at the sight of the horrible things that bear witness against him. I saw the souls of little children and those of older ones, about nine years of age, emerging from some kind of a muddy abyss. The souls were foul and disgusting, resembling the most terrible monsters and decaying corpses. But the corpses were living and gave loud testimony against the dying soul. And the soul I saw dying was a soul full of the world's applause and honors, the end of which are emptiness and sin. Finally, a woman came out who was holding something like tears in her apron and she witnessed very strongly against him. So it's kind of harrowing vision that this man thought he was good because he was successful, he was full of the world's applause and honors and yet in his sinfulness he had he had hurt others. Perhaps he had scandalized them, perhaps he had not lived his obligations to them in some way. Perhaps it was more serious. He abused them in some way. Oh, terrible hour. 
at which one is obliged to see all one's deeds in their nakedness and misery. Not one of them is lost. They will all accompany us to God's judgment. I can find no words or comparisons to express such terrible things. And although it seems to me that this soul is not damned, nevertheless its torments are in no way different from the torments of hell. There is only this difference, that they will someday come to an end. A moment later, I again saw the child who had awakened me. It was of wondrous beauty and repeated these words to me. True greatness of soul is in loving God and in humility. Jesus, give me the strength to stand before you, the strength to see my misdeeds now, the strength to see how I'm hurting you and others now, so that when I die, it's not too late. I'll already have appealed to your mercy. I'll already have worked on those things, however hard they may be. Keep me, Lord, from hurting others. Keep me, Lord, from letting others down in a serious way. Help me, Lord, not to care so much about my reputation in the eyes of the world, how I think others are thinking about me, the impression I'm making. Not even to think, Lord, about my own opinion of myself, but to think, Lord, more about what you want and how you're looking at me and how you're judging me. There's a traditional prayer in the church to Our Lady. In Opus Dei, it forms part of the, the preches, the prayers of the work, prayers that members of the work pray every day. And it appeals to Our Lady saying, when you stand in the sight of God, remember to speak well of us. Ut locores pro nobis bona. When you stand in the presence of God, in the sight of God. Remember, don't forget, to say good things about us. And so, yes, there's something scary, something harrowing and difficult about being judged by God at the end of our life and all the chances to make up for our sinfulness with our freedom are gone, right? game over, no more lives, so to speak. And yet there's something very comforting because we know, Lord, that you love us and we know that you're interceding for us before the Father with your wounds, which you bore and suffered to forgive us, to love us. And we know too, Lord, that our mother is there and that she loves us and that if there's anything good that can be presented to God on our behalf, if there's anything that could mitigate or defend us, from the judgment against our sinfulness, our correspondence to grace, our friendship, our prayer life. Well, Our Lady, our Mother, who loves us so much, will be there. And if she can say anything good about us, she will. And so we approach these things, yes, with a certain amount of trepidation, yes, with a certain amount of holy fear, the fear of God, but all backed up with this great confidence in God that if He wants to show us our sinfulness, which He does, well, he's also going to help us overcome it with his grace, with his mercy. He'll give us the strength to stand before the Son of Man. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect, my Immaculate Mother. 
Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.